I still believe, though, that there's massive degrees of inequity in our healthcare system. And it's not fair for everybody. And whether it's a right or, or, or something else, is, is that's not really what we're focused on. Is we're, we're focused on addressing what we see as very clear inequities. You know, we see it. We see how this all can come together. Some of this is, is how do we unlock the, 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 the people that work for us? This is the Proco 360 podcast. I'm Dave Tabor hosting Proco 360 because I love Colorado and I love getting to know the leaders of Colorado's most interesting and entrepreneurial companies. Today's episode features Dan Greenleaf, president and CEO of Motive Care. Now, when I think of our healthcare system in America, I'm all at once amazed and confused, frustrated and extremely grateful for the tremendous care I and those I know and love have received. At times, the system seems crazy, but it works for most. Colorado-based Motive Care is a healthcare provider with a mission of serving the population that is otherwise left behind, and it's a billion-dollar public company, actually $2 billion public company, that needs to deliver financial results. How those two objectives work together, particularly in what I think is the most complex industry in our country, well, that's some of what I want to know. So here to explain all that is Dan Greenleaf. Dan, glad you're joining us on Proco 360. Glad to be here. So, you know, on your on your website, it says, we're there to lift spirits with food, with care, with technology for those who need us most. Your video says you're serving those who are left behind. Yes. So in that context, what is Motive Care all about? Well, Motive Care, at the, at the end of the day, addresses, I think, one of the most important aspects and, and not well understood uh, pieces of our healthcare system, which is your zip code is a better determinant of your outcome from a health perspective than your genetic code. And there's lots of examples of where people live in adjacent zip codes and the life expectancy is 15 years less. And, and so that's, that's what we're doing as a company hmm. is we're addressing these zip code issues. Yeah. Well, we're going to dive into some more of that. And just before we do, what's the name Motive Care about? Yeah. Motive Care, uh, the company was originally called, believe it or not, Providence Service Corporation. And then the division Underneath it was logistic care, and I don't think those things ever captured yeah. what uh, the organization uh, was and is and will be. And so we went and did a, a fairly significant name change mm -hmm. uh, that we enacted in January of 21. And motive care is, you know, think movement, think uh, think uh, transformation, and then obviously the care piece of it. Yeah. So. Uh, it's been a while since somebody asked me. Yeah, the, it even the sounds derivative. like there's this motive, you yeah, know, piece I, about I it too. That. I don't know yeah. if that's true or not. Well, I absolutely. Yeah, I think we're a very, very mission-driven organization. Mm. I think the people that that work for us are are here because of the mission. Well, and you've got about thirty thousand employees. That's, that's amazing. Right. What What is the scope of the business? You You know, you wanted to talk about sort of the the less known part of delivering healthcare. Right. So, what is the mission? What's that look like? Is scope. Yeah, from from a scope standpoint, it's it's around addressing social determinants of health, which are all the other things that that we don't really take into account when we're assessing someone's uh, health. Uh, I would say health well being, 
And so what does that mean? That means things like transportation. You know, do they have adequate access to the physician offices? Do they have adequate access to their dialysis appointments? And you could imagine if you miss a dialysis appointment because you don't have uh, transportation, it becomes a, a cascading of events, mm-hmm. and which could mean invariably someone ends up in the emergency room. You deliver meals, because I think we know very, very well that food insecurity is real. And where food insecurity exists, there are health care issues yeah, related to those things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's the zip code versus genetic code. Piece. You got it. Yeah. So it's interesting to think that a health care, uh, are you a health insurance company? Are you a health, what are you? No, we're, we're a health care provider, but we're, again, we're addressing things like transportation. We're addressing things like meal delivery, like personal care remote monitoring, which are, you wouldn't describe as clinical interventions. So yeah. there's a difference between yeah. supportive care, which what we do and clinical interventions. The interesting thing about this is that 80% of the outcomes yeah. are largely a result of supportive care issues, not what's going on clinically. And that's where I supportive think- Supportive care, meaning things like meals or meaning things like transportation, transportation. to get to, ah, yeah, yeah, Remote yeah. Remote monitoring. So who pays you? Who are your customers? Yeah, so our, well, at the end of the day, our customers are the members we serve. I mean, that is- well, you could say that, but a customer typically is who pays you, right? Well, that's, that's true, but but ultimately at the end of the day, it's about their well-being, their outcome, and their experience. And if we do those things exceptionally well, the rest of kind of the payment if you will, mechanisms to take care of themselves. But who does pay you? Okay. So, (laughs) so I know you've asked that three times, but, but, uh, it's States. So we've, you know, we've got, uh, we're, we're licensed in 49 States or certified in 49 States Mm -hmm. and then it's payers. So you think the United healthcares, the Humana's, the Aetna's, the, yeah, yeah. The anthems of the world. And so when you say States, those are, uh, state health departments, are they sta- yes. or is it like Medicare, yeah. Medicaid, Medicaid, Medicaid All and right. Medicare advantage, but the Medicare advantage predominantly comes from the, uh, from the payers. And, and so as an organization you've chosen or Motocare has chosen to serve those who, as you say, have uh, zip codes that make, mm-hmm. make healthcare more difficult mm-hmm. for them. How do you build a business like around the idea of serving those who aren't otherwise served as, as a provider? I mean, that seems like a daunting, like approach. Right. Well, I, I, you know, from my own perspective, I, I feel as though this health equity issue has to be addressed. And, and, uh, I've been talking interesting uh, about this with, you know, frankly at a board meeting last week. And I'm like, if I don't do it, then who? If we don't do it, then yeah, home. Yeah, and yeah. so I'm, yes, it's, it's a big task. It's a daunting task. It's, it's yeah. going to take a lot of work and effort and, but why not us? Yeah. And why not now? And, and no one has done what we've done to date. And so our view is we're, is, we're in a good a position as anybody is to, to truly address this. And, and again, it's going to be crawl, walk, run. We yeah, don't have any illusions yeah. of grandeur, but this is the time. And I, I would also say that COVID, for many of us, have highlighted a lot of these, these issues, whether it be social isolation, whether it be having difficulty getting places that you normally would like to yeah, go to yeah. and 
for a variety of reasons. But so as a provider, do you dovetail with other, you mentioned clinical providers. So the idea is that mode of care, when you succeed, you're bringing services that really impact people's health, but in a way we haven't done before. So you're, are you, how do you work alongside with what we would consider traditional healthcare providers? Yeah. So, I mean, we, we would, uh, partner with dialysis clinics. We'd partner with you know, mental health, uh, clinics. We would partner with, uh, organizations that deal with substance abuse. So we, we have very, you know, very, uh, we have a very interactive relationship with mm-hmm. those types of organizations, yeah. but we're coming at it from a different way. And uh, in many yeah. respects, it's, you know, so if we, we think about our, our, our member population, what we do know is they, they live in food deserts. What we do know is they live in pharmacy deserts. What we do know is they lived in vaccine deserts. And what is not well understood is they live in broadband deserts. Mm-hmm. And so what does a broadband desert look like is it could be you don't have Wi-Fi at home. Yeah. It could be that you have limited data plans, which they do. It could be, hey, I've got an iPhone, but the iPhone is optics only and it's suboptimized. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, as I think about these things, is those issues also were addressing along the way. So, how, I mean, that's very interesting to me because we've not really addressed those kinds of things before. And I want to, I want to thank my sponsors. I want to come back and I want to like, who's, who says this is okay? And who's, I want to talk about the mind shift of the healthcare system to start paying for these kinds of Mm -hmm. services, right? Uh, First, though, you're listening to Proco 360, named Best Colorado Business Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. My guest today is Dan Greenleaf, president and CEO of Motive Care. Hey, thanks to our sponsors. Kinsley Meetings, want to give Steve a shout out. He and I were recently talking, and it's as if a switch for meetings and conferences has been turned full on. And, you know, running meetings now is more complex than ever. So if you need help, please call Kinsley Meetings. Also, Via Technologies, thanks for hosting Proco 360. Check out the site. Clint and the Via team keep it running really well. And I'm also developing a partnership with Colorado Biz Magazine. So thanks to John and the team there. Go to Proco360.com to check out all my great sponsors. And now getting back to Dan, you know, how how does this mental shift go from providing essentially – urgent, almost urgent kinds of care, but, um, immediate need care to something more holistic, something more preventative what's happening. Well, it's interesting is, is if any of you listen to any of Biden's, uh, support team around healthcare prior to him being elected, almost the first thing out of everyone's mouth was health inequity and dealing with social determinants of health. Mm-hmm. So there is a a real uh, level, I think, of awareness uh, overall. We also know there's in dis, there's disincentives for the payers now if they don't address these things. Yeah. So there's money the states are holding back if mm-hmm. they don't have a social determinants of health effort underway. Mm-hmm. So there, this shift is happening. Now, where we play is we play in, in a way that we can show from a value-based care standpoint that the services that we're providing are creating better outcomes. Yeah. Not just, you know, and not just from the standpoint of, of ER visits and, and 
fewer hospitalizations, which I think is something people often talk about. Yeah, but yeah, what yeah. we're very focused on is quality of life. Mm-hmm. You know, what is that member experience and has his or her quality of life also improved? And have the financial models, I don't want to dig too much into the geekiness part of the, like the money movement within mm-hmm. the healthcare system, but it, it seems like, it seems like that's important. And, yeah. and has it been hard to shift dollars to this kind of level of care? Well, yes and no. I, I, what I would say that we are disproportionately weighted from a dollar standpoint on clinical interventions. Yeah. And and we overspend on clinical interventions. There is no question about Versus that. Versus like food delivery. Food delivery. Yeah, which prevents... Or, right, yeah. or, or personal care, which yeah. is really around activities of daily living. Mm-hmm. And or around things like remote monitoring, where you can actually keep somebody in their home and safe in their home and yeah. have ongoing interactions with, with that member. But yes, there's no question about that, that the good news is, Mm -hmm. is that all four of our business lines have funding mechanisms. So they're there. Mm -hmm. Uh, The trick is, is, is we pull these things together and really present kind of this holistic approach to caring for the patient is what's that value proposition going forward. And there's no question as we deliver on that, that the economics around it for our company is, Mm. Uh, I think is is going to be fairly inelastic because of the fact that we're going to be delivering something that really creates value. Yeah. Now, it, it seems like this whole philosophical conversation around, you know, on one end of the continuum, continuum you know, let the free market manage mm-hmm. healthcare. On the other end of the continuum, uh, healthcare is a human right. Mm-hmm. And, and it seemed like there was a real clash between mm-hmm. those two belief systems. And it seems like at this point, it doesn't really matter. Like mm-hmm. the United States and our government has decided healthcare is going to be provided. Right. That's it. Right. So that's all behind us. I think maybe at a practical level, mm-hmm. do you think? I, I believe so. I, I, I still believe though, that there's massive degrees of inequity in our healthcare system Yeah. and it's not fair for everybody. And whether it's a right or, or, or something else is, is that's not really what, we're focused on is we're we're focused on addressing what we see as very clear inequities, yeah, unfair inequities, and and by most accounts because of where you live, yeah. So you are a public company. Mm-hmm. Your investors expect you to deliver. Mm-hmm. Are there like there, how compatible are are the objectives of delivering health equity with ROI for investors? I think they're very compatible. You know, I I think there's. You know, if you look at the ESG movement that's occurring uh, with environmental, social, and, and governance, I, there, it's clear that companies like ourselves matter, and they matter to investors. And, and it, investors are making decisions about companies like ourselves because of our mission. And 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 you know, I'm I will say I'm a I'm a capitalist. Don't don't you know this big-hearted capitalist, if you mm-hmm. will, but. I, you know, I believe that because we are driven by achieving certain goals and whether those be financial goals that at the end of the day, we fundamentally believe we can deliver a better product. Mm-hmm. We can improve quality. We can lower costs yeah. and improve outcomes. And for me, there's no cognitive distance at all there. They're right. fully aligned. So this phrase, big hearted capitalist, did yeah. you just make that up? <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> what does that mean to you really though? You know, for me, it's, I think there's this notion that if you're capitalistically oriented, that, you know, there's a, there's a degree of brazenness to your approach. And I I just don't believe 
that. I, I don't, you know, I had my head of human resources get up. We had 250 people or so in, at the Denver um, Natural Museum. I think I butchered the name of that. <laughs> uh, but the, the one that's off of Colorado. Yeah. And we had 250 people there the other night for an event, just our team and their significant others. And, and he had said to the group, which really touched me, he goes, this is a guy that just leads from his heart. And, um, um, so I, you know, it's, it's how I view, uh, you know, what I want to do with my time, talents and treasures, but I'm also, listen, I've, you know, outperformed everywhere I've gone and I've, this is my sixth CEO job and I've sold essentially four companies. And, you know, I, again, I don't think there's a, there's no disconnect. In yeah. My mind. Yeah. And, and I would agree with you. I, I think it's it's shameful that there are a few bad actors mm -hmm. that really give free enterprise mm -hmm. and capitalism a bad name. So back to, to this topic, uh, you know, you've, you've been described as an innovator in mm -hmm. the healthcare space. Um, what are, what would you say are, cause you've been at it. You said how many companies, six, uh, six, six, six companies. CEO, yeah. What are a couple of specific examples of innovation that, you know, you feel like you've been involved with you, you've been pleased with. Yeah. I would say what's interesting was it, it and this is I, th I think a bias many people have, is that there's sense that technology is the only innovation, and I, I'm a big believer in process innovation, and you know where wherever we've gone because we've done process innovation, whether that be in you know revenue cycle management or member experience or or in sales. Uh, we've been able to outperform the market significantly. Mm -hmm. And and so a lot of these things aren't necessarily sexy, but I, I think a, a lot of it is around making sure that you have the right goals, you're focused on the right things, you've got the right people yeah. running these these groups, and then you bring in technology. And these this yeah. is what we've done time and time so again. So process over technology. Initially. Been, yeah. And people. People process over technology because- mm. Technology just doesn't fix things. And I, there's a lot of... Come on, people would argue with that. I'll, I'll yeah. put about all the software development companies. They would argue that <laughs> if you get the right technology in place, yeah. then you need fewer people. It guarantees your process. You say it goes the opposite direction. I, I think there's a lot of misguided, uh, underperforming technology company, companies that bamboozle people. Hmm. And uh, and because in many instances, they, they look at these technology solutions, panaceas, without getting the people in process right. I don't mm -hmm. disagree with the idea of you can do uh, less uh, or, or more with, with less. Mm -hmm. There's no question about that. And we, we do a lot of this type of thing, yeah. um, particularly around the process standpoint. Yeah. But more, it sounds like you think getting the process and the people right to. before the technology plugs in yeah. makes but, more but, sense. But yeah. we, we, we do it simultaneously here. So for example, you know, we've, BPO'd uh, business process outsourcing about 50% of, of our, our contact center and 50% is, and that could be onshore or offshore. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've also implemented, you know, new IVR, IVA technology, uh, uh, automatic call distribution technology, workforce management technology. So we're doing these things simultaneously. simultaneously yeah, but yeah. unless you've got the model and the process and the people mm -hmm. right and yeah. the right leadership, yeah. Technology will always be suboptimized. Hmm. Always. Hmm. That's uh, that's interesting, uh, especially you know in in healthcare. I would think, well, 
every, it seems like a lot of healthcare is suboptimized. Mm -hmm. So, but if you can get the people in the processes right, I would think that would be a, a high, uh, highly leverageable piece before yeah. plugging technology. Yeah, and or yeah. plugging in te technology simultaneously. Yeah, simul having the technology partner walk the path with you. Mm -hmm. But if somebody thinks that technology is just going to, we're going to layer that in and it's yeah. going to solve, it never yeah. works that way. Yeah. So if you could wave a wand and drive innovation in healthcare right now, mm -hmm. what would you do? Well, I think some of it is, is making sure that we have the incentives aligned with things like supportive care. Oh, there's been so much talk about that. <laughs> it seems like nothing is like, that's yeah. been super slow. Well, I, it has been. But yeah. keep in mind, it's it's a it's a tall order. I don't know if you're aware of this, but the uh, the amount that we spend in healthcare annually is twice the size of Russia's GDP before so, the war. Before the war, <laughs> correct. Um, but the point is, is this is a a big task, and yeah. and there's a lot of inertia attached to this task, and changing inertia is especially if it's like the Queen Mary. Yeah, it's yeah. not a motorboat. And yeah. So if you think about one thing that you could like do tomorrow, right. this, this is a multi-year change. Right. Is there some, is there something that you you're looking at? And you're like, I wish I could change this tomorrow. It would make a huge impact. One thing that I would do tomorrow that would make a big impact. I, I, you know, I, I would say that uh, aligning, you know, private industry with government, with, with, uh, legislation so that we we're getting the dollars that are being spent in healthcare being spent wisely. Yeah. So, you know, okay. So neither of the things you just said <laughs> are things that can happen quickly. Right. It just, right. I think it just illustrates that yeah. this is a really complex, really entrenched, I don't know, system that's going to be tough. And at times misaligned. Yeah. Because, yeah. you know, you think about, you know, things like back surgeries yeah. and, you know, how ineffective I've had three and mm. worked out finally, yeah. but, uh, how ineffective they are, but we continue to pay surgeons to do all this back surgery yeah. and surgeons are trained to do back surgery. And so, I mean, that's for me. And then there's no necessarily tie to outcome. So they can do yeah. the surgery and basically walk away. And, uh, and that's, and I've, I've had yeah. eight lower body surgeries. Uh. So I know, the experience of them walking away. Yeah. Well, just wrapping up on this part of the conversation, you, you told me before we even started, you cover 10% of the U S population. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, as you, I mean, that's a big mm -hmm. number. So as you cover that many and you apply your systems, I would think that motive care is a big driver for this change over time. Oh, without a doubt. Yeah. We're going to transform the industry. Yeah. And, that's and, yeah. And healthcare for the underserved populations who've been dealing with health inequity forever. And, and, you know, getting back to kind of like your technology questions, you know, which I, again, I find ironic in many respects because, it, you know, again, this notion of panacea, but what if the member doesn't have a computer at home? What if the member doesn't have Wi-Fi at home? Yeah. What if they have a limited data plan? And, and I, I just think like, so we have to meet the member where they are. Yeah. And if they have these limitations, then we have to understand that well enough so that if they, they would prefer to make a phone call, then we're going we're going to provide them that level of access and have mm -hmm. that experience. Regardless of where they meet us, we're going to make sure that that experience is optimized. Yeah. 
But I think the technophiles would come in and say that, oh, all, all, everybody's like us. All of us have Wi-Fi at home. All of us have these wonderful iPhones. All of us don't live yeah, in yeah, broadband yeah. deserts. And, and I think that's where the naivete comes in. Got it. Hey, you're listening to Proco 360. I'm your host, Dave Tabor, and this is the show featuring entrepreneurs who could be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. This episode is with Dan Greenleaf, president and CEO of Motive Care. Go to Proco360.com to subscribe to the newsletter, read my blog, link to sponsors, and catch the books I'm listening to on Audible. So I want to shift gears. I think we've covered this space, and it's a, a complex one for sure. <laughs> uh, and and it's one that creates a lot of inner frustration for me. Mm -hmm. We're not going to go there anymore. Uh, I do want to switch to things more, uh, you know, sort of outside of the healthcare world, which is starting with you being an ex air force captain. Mm -hmm. We talked a little bit about that because mm -hmm. my son's in the right. air force, but what's your story behind that? Yeah, I, I come from a, a military family and, and, uh, my father was a Lieutenant general in the air force was, uh, was a West point grad. And, uh, and you know, we, I come from, um, a line of family that actually, you know, um, ancestors who served in the Union Army. And mm. so we, we go that far back. And yeah. my grandparents served in World War One. So this is like I a family it. thing for you. It is. It's the, I said, you know, I said it was the family occupation and, huh. and uh, just felt that, you know, if I had, I, you know, if I had not done this, it would have been something that I would have regretted. My yeah. Entire life. yeah. And I, I think it gets back to kind of just, you know, this notion of serving others. Yeah. So now what do you miss? I, I talk with my son about what he's learning in the air force. Mm -hmm. He's only 25. Mm -hmm. and, but what do you miss about being in the air force that really comes to light when you're dealing with the complexities of healthcare? What do I miss about? Yeah. Is first? there something that like, if you could take from the air force yeah. and pop it into the healthcare system, like, or in your job, right. really, what would you do differently? Like, what, yeah. what would you like well, to bring? I mean, I think it's a lot of stuff we talked about. I mean, plan the fl flight and fly the plan. And, you know, it's this planning that, you know, frankly, I, I try to do every day through, you know, processes that I've adopted, like getting things done. Kate knows that all too well. And, and, uh, and so, you know, as I thought, you know, got my career started later at 27, uh, I also Loved the idea. It was a navigator, and we didn't have very sophisticated systems when I was uh, uh, flying C-130s. I mean, we were still using a sextant, so we were off course, you know, 95% of the time. And it's this notion <laughs> of, like, it's okay to be off course. Just keep making the corrections. Keep making the corrections. And I think that's – and you'll invariably end up where, you're, where you want to, and it's okay yeah. to be off course. Yeah, you bring that, you bring that, uh, that attitude to motive care? I do. The idea that you can be off course, just keep correcting, right. just keep correcting. Really? Yeah. But that's kind of different from making the plan and flying the plan. But that not really, because as you, as you plan the flight and fly the plan, I mean, the idea of because you plan, yeah. so if something does go awry, you've planned for it. Yeah. Like if yeah. there's a surface air missile, we can, <laughs> we can circumnavigate that yeah. and go back to course and, and plan for that. And and so, uh, so those are all things that I don't think are exclusive. I also think from a more practical standpoint, I, you know, I, I see people who get target fixation. Mm -hmm. I look at people who lack situational awareness and these are all ideas that came out of my experience in the air force is they, they lack, you know, they, they don't read a room. 
They lack situational awareness, mm. right? Yeah. They get target fixation. They, they're sunk costs, and they're just going to drive to that outcome regardless of if it, if it still makes any sense. And so these are all, you know, ideas that, you know, honestly, I, I incorporate my thinking every single day. Wow. And these are things you learned in the air force. Correct. That's super cool. Yeah. Um, now motive care may be the largest Colorado based public company I hadn't heard of (laughs) until just recently. So why not? Is it because you just recently moved from Atlanta a couple of years ago or I, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, we've hired almost 300 people here in Denver over the course of the last year and some change and. So I think that's part of it. We changed our name. Yeah. Um, we're, we're a different kind of company too, is, you know, we're not that kind of that, although we, we spend for the record, a hundred million dollars on tech every year, just wow. so I could start yeah, yeah. 10 tech companies if I wanted to. Mm-hmm. So we're not, so just for all those technophiles that are yeah. out there, we're, we're putting, we're putting the, the, if you will, the firepower down on our, our technology. Yeah. But I, I think that's a lot of it. We changed our name, mm-hmm. you know, in, in January of 21, um, and, and much of our business is outside the state of Colorado yeah, yeah. too, which I think also plays a role. In yeah. It. So why did you move uh, motive care to Colorado? Well, uh, part of it was I lived here to Perfect. be, be yeah, yeah, with yeah, you yeah, and I, yeah. I love living here. And, and during COVID when we weren't traveling, it's like, can we, you know, I'm not going to be traveling to Atlanta. And so should we just look to set up shop here? And so I think it was. I think it was inevitable, but it happened a lot sooner because of COVID. Yeah. Are there aspects of being here now that have helped Motive Care be successful? Yeah. The talent pool here is incredible. And, uh, and also, you know, I've got a, a, a cadre of people that have kind of followed me from company to company to company. And um, they live in Colorado. And uh, so I, I just think the talent level is phenomenal here. It's obviously a, a great place to live. I mean, you and I were talking about our journeys here and, yeah. and, uh, and I, it, you know, it's hard, you know, I, I, I love being here. And, and I think that what's interesting, I, I, I do believe in this kind of pioneer spirit that people come to Colorado in many respects and say, I, I don't have a job, but I want to live there. Yeah. And, uh, I think that changes the whole dynamic. And then I think the other piece of it is obviously our mission and people are, you know, this great resignation. I'm like, it's not happening. What do you that, mean it's not happening? I don't think it's happening with us because people oh, that you. want yeah, with motive care, yeah. because of our mission and, you know, we're not being pound, you know, penny wise and pound foolish. But on the other hand, there's a bigger picture. And do you want to be part of a bigger picture or do you want to be part of a, you know, it's, this is going to be a little bit of a slight, a tech company that's just looking to flip in a couple of years and provide maybe not so much material uh, difference in, in our society. And so that's where I am. Well, you know, and that's a, that's a fair perspective yeah. the, the tech CEOs I, t- I speak with would beg to differ. And yet that's not your job. Your right. job is CEO of motive care. And I respect and right. admire that that's your perspective. Yeah. I think that's cool. Yeah. Now, big question. Uh, what's healthcare in the U S going to look like in 10 years, maybe in 25 years, these things that you've talked about, mm. these systematic changes, are, do you think how far down the line are we going to get with those? I think really far. I really do. I think there, there are technologies that, uh, that are going to allow us to get greater visibility on things that drive outcomes. And then you've got organizations like ourselves that are pulling these pieces together and layering in tech for the record, yeah. $100 million spend yeah, folks. Yeah. 
and uh, and are going to be able to deliver a, a superior member patient experience than they've ever had. And I, you know, we see it. We see how this all can come together. And some of this is is how do we uh, unlock the 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 people that work for us, like caregivers, you know, they're, we, we want our team members to be working on the upper end of their license. And, and we think there's a whole bunch of other things that the team in the field could be doing that they aren't doing right now. So for example, a transportation provider who can do a quick assessment of the condition of the member, somebody on the personal care side who, who is in the home sometimes 40 hours a week and they can act a bit as an air traffic controller and say, hey, this patient needs food. This mm-hmm. patient needs remote monitoring. This patient needs transportation. And, uh, and so there's, we just think there's a whole bunch of other things. And yeah. then also bringing more technology into the yeah. home. Now, I was going to wrap up, but I, I, I'm <laughs> just still remaining curious. Where does delivery of food fit into the way we've defined our healthcare system, which is fixing what's broken. You know, right. they just seem inconsistent. Right. And I, I agree right. that it makes complete sense. Right. It's better to give people healthy food than to fix what's broken. But right. it, it doesn't seem like we're wired that way at all as a healthcare system. For now. Ah. Yeah. For, for now. now. All right. Maybe that's our future. So <laughs> right. let's wrap up with that. I'm your host, Dave Tabor. And today on Proco 360, you've been listening to my conversation with Dan Greenleaf, president and CEO of Motive Care. Thanks, Dan. Great Thank conversation. Yeah. yeah. I want to give Kate Zerone a thank for her help. She's in the other room waving. Listeners, glad you're here on Proco 360, where we say live, work, love Colorado, because you and I and my guests can be successful anywhere and choose Colorado. You make the show successful by subscribing to the Proco 360 podcast. And if you haven't yet, please submit a review in your app. Thanks again to our show sponsors via technologies, Kinsley Meetings and Colorado Biz Magazine. That's it. Live, work, love Colorado.